0: Father in heaven, as we focus on loving each other the way we have been loved, I pray that across all three campuses now, your people would be knit together in love. I pray that the love of Christ for us would be manifest, and that we would be united to it like branches in a vine, so that it would not be a labor for us to love, but a a free-flowing, resting, drawing upon Christ. So grant me, Lord, the ability to be faithful to this text, be carried by your Holy Spirit, to build the faith of your people and to strengthen their resolves by your power that you might be honored in this church. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it's the night before the crucifixion here in chapter 13. The 12 apostles are eating with Jesus, the most important meal that perhaps ever was. Jesus has just said in verse 21, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. John, the writer of this letter, was lying there reclining next to Jesus at this table. And in verse 25, John leans over and says to Jesus, Lord, who is it? Evidently, Jesus answered softly so that John heard him and could quote him, but the others didn't hear him because when Judas was to get up and leave in a minute, they were nonplussed as to what was going on. But Jesus says in verse 29, apparently quietly, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it." So John hears that. The others evidently don't. John now knows who the betrayer is. Nobody else does. And then Jesus dips the bread in the cup, and he gives it to Judas. And Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. And Judas goes out. And the very next thing, having set in motion his betrayal, the very next thing that Jesus says is, verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified. So at the very moment when the betrayal is secured, the betrayal is put in motion, he says, now. The Son of Man and the Father in Him is glorified. At the darkest hour of His life, He will shine most brightly with the glory of God. Of all the disciples, only John knows what's going on. Only John can feel the amazement of this moment in its full. John had heard him say, it's the one to whom I give the dipped bread. And he watches him. And as soon as he handles it to Judas, John can't believe what he's seeing. No, not Judas. He's had the money bag all these three years, and every there's this tectonic shift in the brain of John, and everything he's watched now has a new meaning. I mean, just can, you can just picture it happening. So that's why he was so upset with Mary. That's why he got upset about that offering. Can you imagine him just everything shifting as he watches Judas leave? This man's mind has just watched a betrayal set in motion. He's just watched one of his friends totally become something else in his mind. And he's heard Jesus say the absolutely inexplicable words, now I will be glorious. I mean, John is having to deal with something the others are not having to deal with at this moment. He watches Judas leave. Glory. Judas betraying. What an emotional turmoil. And the next thing he hears out of Jesus' mouth is this word, little children. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Little children, I am leaving. up till now, the mark of your discipleship has been, you follow me. If I go to Galilee, you go to Galilee. If I go to Judea, you go to Judea. Everybody can see who my disciples are. They're tagging along behind me. They listen to everything I say. We eat together. We rest together. We pray together. It's clear as day who my disciples are. And little children, I'm leaving. And now, a new badge. You're not following me anymore. I'm not going to be here to follow. The evidence of your discipleship won't be any physical accompaniments anymore. I'm not here. So, I'm giving you a new badge. Love each other the way I've loved you So here's John, bursting with conflicting emotions. Betrayal has been put in motion. The glory of God is about to be seen, Jesus says. Jesus is leaving them, and in His absence, love is to bind them together. And in that moment of singular emotional intensity for John, Jesus speaks this word, little children. Does that tell us anything? I think it tells us that this moment in the life of John was so intense, so deep, so memorable, that it shaped all of his life and ministry, including his first letter. So that he's not only recounting this event here of, little children, I give you a new commandment, but when he wrote his first letter, that letter becomes an exposition of this moment. That's my my thesis in this sermon. This moment is so powerful for John because of the things I've just tried to describe that decades later, he writes this book and he writes his letter and he tells this story and he writes his letter to explain it. Consider a few things. You'll see where I'm getting this idea. Little children, technia. This is the only place it's used in the gospel of John. Could have been used other places, like when Jesus said in chapter 21, verse 5, children, you have any fish? He's on the beach calling to him in the boat. Children, you have any fish? That's not the same word. This word is used only here. Not only that, this word, little children, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, except 1 John, seven times. That got my attention. Here is Jesus in one of the most emotionally charged moments of his departure and his commissioning them to hang together when he's gone. And having sent out Judas, one of them. And here only, he says, little children, just it, it must have just gone into John, because you he could hear it, he could just hear it decades later, so that Jesus, loving them at that moment with little children, says, love like I love. And that word becomes John's favorite word for his flock as he loves them. Consider this, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, verse 34, 35, that phrase, new commandment, doesn't occur anywhere else in his gospel, nor does it occur anywhere else in the New Testament, except 1 and 2 John. That got my attention. Here's what John says in 1 John 2, 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Only here and in 2 John. Only John picked up on it. Only John picked up on little children. Only John picked up on the new commandment because John here is probably more blown away than anybody by what's going on. So I feel constrained by these things to believe that 1 John is written largely to help us understand the newness of the new commandment. And what it means. That's why 1 John. And to understand the phrase, by this will all men know you're real disciples. That's what 1 John is written to show. Consider a couple of really striking things about John's handling of the new commandment. So you can see where this sermon is now. I have just settled in that John the epistle writer is going to teach me about John the gospel writer. The new commandment interpretation in 1 John 2 is going to guide me as the earliest and most authoritative interpretation of that command as to what it means. That's the way I'm thinking right now. i try to understand it, where it is, and I'm going to let John be the main person to help me. So that was my commentary this week. First John. Is that a good commentary to use? Better than Carson? Yes, he would think so consider a couple of striking things about the way John handles it. First, nowhere in the letters of John does he ever refer to the love of Jesus for me or you, ever. This text said, love each other as I have loved you. John is the one writer that picks up on the New Commandment and begins to unpack it, and in all three of his letters he never talks about the love of Jesus for anybody. Instead, he talks about the love of the Father and the love of God over and over and over again. And when Jesus comes into the picture, God loved us by giving Jesus for us. Jesus doesn't become our model in John. He doesn't say ever, love like Jesus loved. He always says, love like God. Chapter, one, chapter 4 verse 10 of 1 John, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love each other. What, what happened to the new command? What What happened to, as Jesus loved us, we should love each other? Why does it become, God so loved you that you should love each other? What do what we to make of this? What I make of it is, this is exactly what I would expect from the writer of the Gospel of John. As John thought back on that moment... He's lying there at table with Jesus, leans back, who is it, Lord? And now he's here some decades later having thought and prayed and been guided by the Holy Spirit to understand all that he experienced. John cannot get over the truth. I ate supper with God. Got back, and there goes the betrayer by Jesus' appointment. Here comes the glory of the Son of Man and God in Him. Here's Jesus saying, I'm leaving. Here's love binding Him and them together. And He's saying, I was leaning on the shoulder of God. God put Judas in motion. God was about to be glorified on the cross. God told us to love each other like Jesus, that is, like God. John, in his letter, in never referring to the love of Jesus, is not minimizing Jesus. He is putting all the focus on the love of God. In Jesus, and thus maximizing Jesus. This Jesus, who gave us the new commandment and told us to love each other this way, the way He did, is God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, especially that night I leaned my head on the shoulder of God. God loved me when Jesus said that." God was loving the next morning. Every act of Jesus the Son was an act of God the Father. So John is not saying the love of Jesus is unimportant. He's saying the love of Jesus is the love of God. That's the first striking thing. The first epistle of John takes the command, love like I loved and makes it into love like God loved, because I'm Him. Second striking thing in the way John handles the New New Commandment is uh, the way he handles verse 35 of John 13. By this all people know, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John pondered this phrase very deeply. He pondered the phrase, my disciples. He pondered the phrase, they'll know. And he thought it through, and he wrote a letter about it. The point here is not, how will people know if you are aligned with Christianity? (laughs) How will people know if you bear the name of Christ, or how will people know if you're part of a Christian tradition, or how will people know if you go to a Christian church? That's not what's going on. That's not what John is dealing with at all, or Jesus. The question is for Jesus and John. How will people know if you've been given a new heart of love for the Father, love for Jesus, love for his followers? How will people know you're a real disciple? That's what Jesus is saying. If you let John, the writer of the epistle, handle verse 35, you know what he makes of it? I'll read five instances of what he makes of it. Okay, listen for John 13, 35 in the words of 1 John. So, the thirteen thirty five says, by this, loving people, loving each other, people will know you're real, you're a real disciple. This is what the epistle says. John 4, 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Oh, you've been changed. You're real. Chapter 3 verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We know because we love. Chapter 3, verse 10, by this it is evident, we know, you can know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love. Chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. Chapter 2, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. First John is a five-chapter exposition of John 13, 35. As Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you prove that you're real by loving each other the way I've loved you, namely the way God loves you when I love you. All people can have good evidence that you're born of God. All people can have good evidence that you know God, that you're a child of God, that you're in the light, you're no longer in the darkness, you pass from death to life, if you love each other. People will know that. They'll know that you now have a new heart of trust in Jesus and love for his people. A new heart of trust in Jesus and love for his people. Now you should ask at that moment, you just stuck in the word trust. You just do that because that's what doctrinally you're supposed to do? You just added the word trust? They'll know you're a truster, a believer in Jesus, and the text so far has just said, they'll know by your love, your love. No, I didn't just stick it in. Here's the reason I put it there. When you read 1 John, you read that love and trust become one commandment. Listen to this, 1 John 3.23, this is the commandment, singular. This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and and love one another just as he has commanded us. So in John's mind, when Jesus gave the command, love each other, love each other, it wasn't isolated, it didn't dangle out there with all of his other ministry and all of his other teachings and all of his other commands having nothing to do with it. He put it into a life and into a ministry. He embedded it in something. And John's drawing that out to say, This is his commandment, believe in his name and love one another. One commandment, to believe and to love. And therefore, what people can know about you is that you're a real disciple, namely, you really have faith by the fact that you love each other, and the love becomes the fruit of your attachment to Jesus, that you are real. Why does loving each other validate being a real disciple? What is it about loving each other that enables you and another person to know you're real, know you're united to Christ, know you're a disciple, and yet you believe and that you're saved? What is it about love? And I think the answer to that question rises when we ask what is new about the New Commandment is the last thing I want to do here. What's new about the new commandment? Will that shed light on why love for your believing friends is so compelling that it validates your truly being a disciple of Jesus? The command to love is not new by itself. The command to love is in Leviticus 19, verse 18. It goes like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, the command to love others isn't new in and of itself. What appears to be new is Jesus says in verse 34, second half of the verse, just as I have loved you That's the way to love each other. So what's new is, never before has the Son of God come into the world and laid down His life for His people. Never before has that degree of greatness performed that degree of sacrifice. That's never happened in the universe, ever. Never will happen again, anything like that. So this is unique. This is new. Son of God has come into the world taken on human flesh so that in loving His people, He can sacrifice that flesh unto death. Nothing like that has ever happened before or since. So that's new. That's very new. So the question then I have is, is Jesus simply saying, okay, I've just given you a brand new model of greatness condescending to depths of sacrifice. I modeled it by washing the feet a few minutes ago and told you to go and do what your teacher did, and now I'm telling you to go love like I love. And because of that unique model, your imitation of it will be new. Is that what he's saying? Go love like that, I don't think so. Imitation is a very dangerous way to limit the Christian life, isn't it? It's got a place, but if you mainly think of what's going on here is, go imitate me, brothers. I've just loved in a certain way, washing the feet. I'm going to love tonight like you've never been loved, and I want you to love like this, so go copy this. No, no. So what would you do? I mean, what I did is I went to 1 John and I said, you tell me what's new, John. What do you think is new about the commandment, John? I'll read you what he said. I'll read the first half of it, and we'll try to get our understanding of the newness of the new covenant from the first authoritative commentary on it, 1 John 2, 8. It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Okay, first thing he says is, it's truly new in him, it's truly new in you. And then he adds this phrase, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Hmm. (laughs) Let me read it all together. It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That's why it's new in him and in you. And here's what I'm I'm hearing, the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. This light is the beginning of the promise, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. This is expected. When Messiah comes, He comes with light. He banishes darkness. He banishes sin. Kingdom arrives. Brightness shines. God fills the earth, and that has started. Is that what that means? The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already what you thought was coming way out there in the good old future. Is already shining. Yeah, that's what's happening. Now, John says in the next verse, whoever, this is verse 9 of 1 John 2, whoever says he is in the light, all right? I'm in this new light. I'm in this new age. I'm in this kingdom. I'm in this Messiah-led newness. Behold, I make all things new. Everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. I'm, I'm in there. Everybody who says that and hates his brother is in darkness still. That's the negative side. Now here comes verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Huh. So, what's new in him and in us is that as the glory, as the light of the love of God is starting to fill the earth right here in Jesus, it has drawn disciples into it. And if you hate your brother, you're not in there. Here with Judas who's hating Jesus right now. And if you love your brother, you're in the light, in the love. That's what's new. Now, you see where I'm going with this whole issue of imitation? You got it yet? First, Gospel of John. Chapter 15, he comes back. He circles back to this, and listen how he says it now. This is John 15, 12, and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's repeating the new commandment in John 15, 12. Love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So this love is of the nature that you will lay down your life for each other. In the church, you will lay down your life for each other. Yes, and how do we love like that? Verse 9 of John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love." That's why John said in 1 John 2, 9, if you love, you abide in the light. We are not talking here mainly about copying Jesus. We're talking about connecting with Jesus. We're not talking mainly about imitation. We're talking mainly about participation, demonstration, manifestation. The vine does not say to the branch, I'm oozing with love for you copy me on the ground where you're broken off and dry. That's not Christianity. It's not the new commandment. The new commandment is light has broken into the world. Salvation has broken into the world. Love has broken into the world. God has broken into the world. He's going to fill the earth with his newness, his power, his beauty, his salvation. And he is assembling people into it so that when they love, they love with his love. The new commandment is I have loved you, and in loving and dying for you and calling you, I have grafted you into me so that now your love for each other is not mere imitation. It's participation in me. It's my life, my light, my love flowing into you by your attachment like a branch to a vine. That's what's new about it. And then Judas didn't love and therefore it became known he was not my disciple. And you will be known by your own conscience, by the judgment day, and by the people who are trying to figure you out. You really a disciple of Jesus or just a nominal disciple of Jesus. You real, or usually a church-goer. And they will know when they see you lay down your life in a hundred ways, little and big for your brothers and sisters. So Bethlehem my little children. I feel like I'm almost old enough to be at home with that. These are critical days for us, are they not? In these crucial days of transition over the next months and year plus, Jesus is calling us very clearly to love each other. This is the call of the hour, to love each other. Go low, Bethlehem, in foot washing-like service of each other. Lay down your lives, your privileges for each other, your conveniences, Somebody knocks on your door, make time. Lay down your lives. Love your brothers and sisters across all racial and ethnic lines. Let there be not a whiff of ethnocentricity in your life. Not a whiff. Person for others of all ethnicities. Love the weakest, the oldest, the youngest. Love the disabled. Love the lonely troublemaker. It is certain that when you love each other, you are atoning for nobody's sin. But, you are doing something like that. You can't copy Jesus in everything. When he went to the cross that night and morning and said, love like I love, he didn't mean, and you you can atone for sin too. No, no, he said, I'll do that and then you follow me in the parts that you can follow me, like you can die. But here's the one thing that looks like atonement and has amazing effect in a family, in a church, in a friendship. Love, First Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. Frustrated with anybody at Bethlehem? People bother you by things they do. Little things, big things. Love covers it, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails like Jesus, like God. How blessed is the church that loves like this that loves like God. Let's pray. Father, I want so much to be a good example for my flock, so help me. And help us to hear these amazing words that he's beckoning us into the fellowship of his sufferings and into the light and into the love and into the salvation and into the vine and grant us to abide there and to prove by abiding there and bearing fruit of love that we are his disciples. Lord, we're going to sing and I pray that your name would be exalted. Soon and sooner than many of us know, we're going to see the King. May that hope fix our hearts so fully that we never, ever lack the power to love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.